The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. As yesterday, as we said goodbye uh, to Bill Deaton, Lord, even as we buried him, we don't bury him without hope. Lord, we, we put him in the ground waiting for you to bring him back to life. And Lord, we know that we will join him. We know, Lord, that our hope isn't wishful thinking. It's firmly secure in who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do for us. And so, Lord, this morning, as we come to study your word, we do it from a place of victory. We do it from a place of celebration, knowing, God, that you love us deeply and knowing, God, that we are safe in you. There is nothing that can stand against us because you are for us. So, Lord, we love you. We ask now, Lord, that as we open your word, you'd give us understanding and help us this morning. Help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're with us this morning. Uh, If you haven't been with us since Valentine's Day, I looked it up yesterday. Since Valentine's Day, we've been in a series called Love Is. And if you can believe it, Today's the last day of it, all right? So I I know we've been doing it for a long, long time, but you know what? What we've learned about love is we've learned it's important. Jesus said that all of the law and all of the prophets hang on two things. What is that? Love God and love people. So you know what? If we're gonna spend six months on something, love seems to be a really good bet. So we've learned a lot about love. Let's recap. There's a lot to recap. There's six months here. Let's recap it. Love is a choice. We learned that love is patient, that it's kind, it doesn't envy it doesn't boast it's not arrogant it's not rude it's considerate it doesn't insist on its own way it isn't irritable it's not resentful it doesn't keep a record of wrongs it doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing but rejoices with truth we learn that it bears all things it believes all things it hopes all things it endures all things it remains under the load today we're talking about love never ends so I was, uh, when I was in elementary school, I had a teacher in fifth grade that I really loved, and she was very, very patient uh, with me and with a lot of people, but she was very, very patient with me in particular, and I remember one time we got our tests back, and I disagreed with my grade, because in all of the the wisdom and the knowledge that a nine-year-old could have, I believed that she had made a mistake. And so I went up to her and, I, and I, I revealed to her very graciously and kindly as I thought her mistake, all right? You've made a mistake. Here's why my grade should be this. And, and so she just kind of said, no, this is how it is and pushed me off. Well, throughout the day, I would go back up to her and I would say, do you have a moment to discuss your mistake? And I would bring her my test and I would say, here's why I think that you were wrong. Here's why I think you need to change my grade. And by the end of the day, she finally changed my grade. She just said, fine. And she changed it. And she said, you know, Mr. Nixon, I think one day you should be a lawyer. Now she meant that in the pejorative. However, I took it as like a sign. This is what I need to do with my life. And for a long time, I wanted to be a lawyer. Then I, then I got saved. But one, for a long time, I wanted to be a lawyer. And, and I don't know what kind of, I'm just kidding. I don't know what kind of uh, movies you like, but I really like legal dramas. I don't know if it started there, but, but there's some great ones out there. I, I really like a, a Time to Kill. Anybody seen that with Matthew McConaughey? What a great movie that is. Or, or even uh, A Few Good Men with that really famous line when Tom Cruise is, is cross-examining uh, uh, Jack, Jack Nicholson. And what does he say? I want the truth. And what does Jack Nicholson say? You can't handle the truth. That's right. You, I love that movie. And you know, every great like, legal drama, it comes down to that closing argument. 
Like the movie, it is what it is, but you can go straight to the end. And that's when the movie is like, that's its most pivotal moment. And it all comes down to this final closing argument. Probably the best one you'll see in a movie uh, is by Gregory Peck in To Kill a Mockingbird. Anybody? Gregory Peck playing Atticus Finch won, won an Oscar for that role, but he gives his, his final his closing argument and he, he leans there and he, he looks right in the jury's face. And what does he say? For the love of God believe, believe in Tom Robinson. Isn't that what he says? And it's awesome. And the way he delivers it, and he barely says his name. He says, for the love of God, believe in Tom Robinson. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching going, I believe, Gregory. I believe. I'm with you. I'm with Tom Robinson. And, and you know, as we've looked at this argument from the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 13, where is closing argument? This is it. This last part we're looking at today, this is closing argument. You've seen the opening argument, verse 1 through 3. You've seen that argument, that all of the things that you think are righteous and all these incredible deeds or whatever, without love, there's nothing. And then we've been spending a lot of time on the meat of his argument. Love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. And now here we are at his closing argument. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 through 13. Let's look at his closing argument here. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your seat. You can take that with you. That's our gift to you. If you want to follow along on your smartphone, uh, that's, that's perfectly okay too. You can do that. We'll think you're playing Pokemon Go, but that's all right. Uh, you can still follow along. We judge, but we do it quietly. Okay, so look at verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, They'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, you could not have started a closing argument here any more shocking for the people in Corinth than to say that, than to say what he said. If you've seen A Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey, his closing argument's wonderful. At the end of, his, at the, end of the movie, he starts the closing argument by basically saying, um, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a good lawyer, and I did a terrible job defending my client. And in that moment, Samuel L. Jackson, who he's defending, he's kind of, he's checked out at this point. He knows he's done a bad job. He knows that he's probably going to be convicted because Matthew McConaughey's done such a bad job, and he's just kind of down. The, the, the prosecution, they're, they're kind of checked out. They think they've already won. He says those words, and everybody, you see everybody just, they perk up, and they peek up, and they go, what, what did he just say? Paul ending this this way, this is a moment where the Corinthian church, they're reading this letter and they're like, okay, patient, kind, I can get with that. Hang on a second. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge will cease. I mean, this church loves their prophecy. They love tongues. They love knowledge. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you see an argument Paul is making about the equality among the believers. Even though their giftings are different, you need to respect one another and know that God has given everybody the gift that they need to serve him the best. So what we see is in Corinth, people saying that, you know what? If you don't have these certain gifts, you aren't a cool kid. You aren't in the popular crowd. There's something wrong with you. You aren't as spiritual. You don't speak in tongues? Psh. You don't prophesy? What's wrong with you? You don't have knowledge? What is wrong with you? And so these are, these are prized above everything. And Paul says, these things that you prize so much, these things that I've already told you are nothing without love, they'll pass away. They'll pass away. And so they're sitting here going, what in the world are you talking about? This incredible line here. And you know what? This argument, I have to admit, looks strange, even as we read it. Because what does it seem to imply? It seems to imply that knowledge and tongues and, 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 and understanding and wisdom, all these things that God has given us, these are spiritual gifts. It seems to imply that they're worthless. Because they're going to pass away, right? 
It seems to imply that they're not important. Is that really what God is saying here? Is he really saying through Paul, hey, look, I'm just messing with you. You speak down, whatever. I don't even care about that. Is that really what's going on here? No. Let's keep reading. Look in verse 9 and 10. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I don't think we should see the passing of these spiritual gifts as any indication that God doesn't care about them, as any indication that they aren't important, as any indication that God doesn't do great things for his church through them. Instead, I think we should see them as gifts that the Lord's given his church to serve us in the imperfect time in which we live. But one day, the perfect will come. I think a good picture of this is when we were in uh, Destin, we took our high schoolers to Destin. Uh, the beach that we were on was crazy busy, and there's a bunch of condos around, so it's just a lot, a lot of people around. And if you walk far enough down, there's this, there's this big thing of rocks, this big rock formation that goes out into the water. And we would walk down there every day. Every student, if you went on that trip, you know, every day we would walk all the way down there. We did it for multiple reasons. One, it's a bunch of private houses down there, so the beaches were usually clear, uh, so that was nice. Uh, but also, the rocks were cool, like you could sit on them, climb on them, take a lot of selfies, whatever you wanted to do. And so we like the rocks. Well, if you go down there towards the end of the day, what's happening to the tide? The tide's coming out. And as it does, uh, there'd be water trapped in some of the rocks, like some of the little rock formations. And so you could sit there and you could look at your mini little ocean you had now. And in this, there were sometimes crabs would be in there. Sometimes fish would get caught in there. And you had your nice little, well, this is fun. This is my nice little ocean. I'll sit on my rock with my, my ocean. I shall call you Grant Ocean and you will be my ocean. And so I would sit there with that. But you know what would happen? Eventually, the tide would come in. And the ocean would return. And what would happen to that pond? Would it go away because it was bad or because it, was, it wasn't good enough? No, no, no. What would happen? It would become part of something bigger. It would become part of something greater. There was no need for my little pond anymore. There's no need for Grant Ocean, rest in peace. Now I have the ocean. And in the same way, these gifts, although they might serve us in an imperfect time, when the perfect time comes, when we are in eternity, we are fully present with God, with a perfect revelation of God. These other giftings will just, they'll cease. We won't need them. They'll be, they'll be swallowed up in the perfect And Paul illustrates this beautifully in verse 11 and 12. Look at verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Children lack understanding. And so the things that they're into and the way that their minds work and the decisions they make, they lack understanding. And and they're they're not always the same. I mean, when you think about when I was a little kid, my mom had a basket. It was a really big basket. I don't even know if she would remember this, but there's this really big like wicker type basket and it was a a really wonderful peach slash pink, you know, something like a late 80s, early 90s, really beautiful. And uh, so it was, it was at the foot of her bed. And I don't know if she had just gotten it or if I just noticed it, but I was in her room and asking a million questions. I'm sure I did all the time. And I said, mom, what's in there? And she just very casually said, snakes, don't go in there. And now I know she probably didn't think anything more of it. And I do that to my kids all the time. And you don't think they actually believe you. And my kids don't uh, probably because most of the things come out of my mouth are ridiculous. Um, But my mom had some sort of credibility for me at that moment in my life. And I went, okay, there's snakes in there. And I never went near it. I never opened it. I didn't want to go near it. I didn't want to go in her room. Now, as I got older, I understood, of course, 
of course my mom's not keeping snakes in, the, in a basket in her bedroom. You keep those in the kitchen so you can serve it to your guests, right? Like you don't, you don't keep them up there. So of course that's not happening. But my, my, my understanding was limited. And, and as my understanding grew, my behavior changed. Things changed. And you think about it. Have you ever seen a little kid operate a, a water fountain for the first time? Is that not the most laurel and hearty moment on the planet, right? They push the button and then where'd the water go? They put their face up, where'd the water go? As they grow in understanding, it changes. The things that you were interested in and the things that took your attention and your focus when you were a kid, they they don't have that same hold over you anymore, right? I hope you don't just get just as excited about Mickey Mouse as you did when you were a kid. Like things change, right? Let's not talk about Pokemon Go, all right? That still gets you excited or whatever, but... It should change. Things should change. And so Paul's saying our knowledge and prophecy and tongues are based in a time of immaturity compared to what will be when we are face to face with him. And when that happens, things will change. He continues illustrating that in verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So he's comparing seeing in a mirror dimly versus face to face. Their mirrors weren't like our mirrors. They're usually some sort of polished metal. So how great of a reflection could you get? Could you, can you see the difference between something in a, a, a polished piece of metal versus face to face? I mean, it would be like, who in here, you need your glasses. I mean, you absolutely need your glasses. I can, I can forget my glasses in the morning and make it through my day. Like I can just, I can make it through my day. My eyes will just work a little bit harder and, and I'm good. But how many of you in here, if you forget your glasses, you're Mr. Magoo. Anybody, anybody here, Mr. Magoo? Okay, so you people without your glasses, imagine this. Imagine I'm up here preaching. All of a sudden, someone just runs in here, runs up on stage, punches me right in the face and then they just keep running, right? Hold your applause. So they punch me and they just keep running. Now, when the police show up, if you weren't wearing your glasses, how helpful would you be? You could tell them things that were true. You could tell them things. Like you could say, Grant was standing there. I know it was him because it was the same obnoxious voice that I hear every Sunday. And some dude came through. Some being came through, made contact, and left. Now you could say that. You could say that with certainty. And that would be a true statement. How helpful is that? It's not. You, your, your understanding is really small because you didn't have your glasses on. Now, what if you had your glasses on? Oh, I saw him. Oh, I absolutely saw him. I saw he was wearing a black shirt. He was wearing paint, uh, uh, blue jeans and, and uh, he had a scar on this eye and he had a, a prison tattoo on this neck. Like he did all these things. Like I know who it was, right? You could be helpful in that moment. In the same way, our knowledge of God at this point is like looking in a mirror dimly. It's like looking with our glasses off. Are there things that we can see that are true? Yes. Are there things that he reveals to us that are true? Yes. But one day, No more mirror dimly. No more glasses off. We'll see him face to face. What happens to our old old knowledge? Does it pass away because it was bad? Does it pass away because it was untrue? No. It's swallowed up in the perfect, right? And that's what will happen. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge, which serves us now in the imperfect, will be swallowed up in the perfect, right? And so Paul points them to three other things that don't pass away, that won't pass away. Look at verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, all these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul is calling their attention to the most important. He's calling the attention to the thing that lasts. That's what's most important. I mean, if you're a, if you're a father in here and you have a career, what's most important, your career or you being a father? Well, you being a father, right? 
Because what? Your career will pass away. One day you will not be a businessman anymore. One day you will not be a mechanic anymore. One day you will not be a whatever, fill in the blank anymore. But will you always be a father? Yes. You would be foolish to focus on the things that are temporary, however important they are. Is your career important? Absolutely. It aids your ability to be a good father. It aids my ability to provide for my family. Yes, that is absolutely important. But if you were to sacrifice your relationship with your kids for your career, you are a fool. Why? Because your career will pass. You being a father will not. And Paul's using the same argument. Focus on what lasts. That's what's most important. He's not saying prophecy is not important but it will pass. He's not saying that knowledge is not important, but it will pass. Put it in, put prioritize correctly. Love is what's important. Faith is what's important. Hope is what's important because it won't pass. In fact, not only will they not pass, they're strengthened. When we see a full revelation of God in eternity, they're strengthened by that. Look at faith. Number one, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is our assurance of God's goodness toward us. It's our trust in God's goodness toward us. And where does faith come from? Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not something we just make up. It's based in something. It's not baseless. It's anchored in something. What's it anchored in? It's anchored in in God. It's anchored in his word. It's anchored in our experience with God. That's what grows our faith, right? It's informed by his word. So our assurance of God's goodness toward us, not gonna pass away when we see him, what's gonna happen? It's gonna be strengthened, right? The more God reveals about himself to us in eternity, what happens to our faith? It gets stronger and stronger. My assurance of your goodness is stronger and stronger as I see it and experience it in ways that I've never experienced it before. It won't pass away. And then we look at hope. Hope doesn't pass away. Well, what is hope? Romans 5.2 says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Hope is what? It's about future faith. It's confidence of God's goodness toward us in the future. And you might say, well, hang on a second. Because when we enter eternity, don't we exit time? God is outside of time. We're going to go be with him. Are we going to be inside of time, outside of time? Listen. I love the movie Interstellar just as much as anybody else. But I am not going to dive into are we out of time, inside of time, or whatever. I don't think that's the point here. Here's the point. In eternity, there will be things that we do not have. Now let me explain. Have you ever worried, have you ever thought about heaven and worried that you're going to get bored? Like I remember when I was a kid watching Looney Tune cartoons, when anybody died, when Bugs Bunny died, and he went to heaven, of course, because that's where bunnies go. When Bugs Bunny died, uh, where was he? Where did he end up? on a cloud with a white robe plucking a harp, right? And I used to think like, okay, that's it. Like, this is heaven. This is going to be super boring. And then even as I got older and I thought like, okay, so if heaven's like a really cool place and, and all this other stuff, you know what? Have you ever been on a vacation and gotten bored? Like, you're in a beautiful place. You might be on a beach. You might be on a cruise or whatever, and you're bored. You ever been there? Absolutely. And so I started to think like, am I going to be bored? Am I going to get in heaven? I'm not, I'm not going to have the exact same experience that I'm having here. Will I be bored there? No, because in eternity, there will be things we don't have. And the biggest thing we don't have is a complete knowledge of God. In heaven, we will not have a complete knowledge of God. Now, let me explain. God is infinitely big and unknowable. Job eleven seven through 9. Look at the scripture. 
Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. So listen to this. Listen to me, church. You ready? You ready for some hope? Hang on to this. For the rest of time, we will be discovering and learning and experiencing and delighting in the eternal, infinite goodness of God. Are you with me? We're not going to get there and, oh, that's God. Got it. Nailed it. I know, I know everything there is to know. I'm ready to tell somebody else. I got, I, he's, he's all locked down. No. God is infinitely good and infinitely something and someone we will and can delight in. And so for the rest of eternity, when we are there with him, we will be discovering and learning and experiencing more and more and more and more. Anybody else excited about heaven? Anybody else excited about eternity right now? For the rest of time, we will be learning about him because we will never fully know him. That's the beauty of God. He is infinite. There is no beginning. There is no end to how good he is. And we will just daily, moment by moment, whatever time is or isn't, we will be experiencing and learning and delighting in who God is. So is there hope in heaven? Absolutely. Our hope will grow and it will be stronger as moment by moment we anticipate and delight in the further revelation of the goodness of God. So faith remains, yes, and hope remains, yes. And lastly, and here it is, let's close out our closing argument, love remains. But Paul says not only does love remain with faith and hope, it's the greatest. So why is it the greatest? Well, the first reason it's the greatest, and this isn't the main point, but it must be said, God is love. That's why it's the greatest. God is not prophecy. God is not hope. God is not faith. God is not tongues. God is not knowledge. God is not understanding. God is love. You know, these past six months as I've talked with different people about this, uh, about this study we've been going through in love I think one of the reasons why it's been so impactful for us is because we're not covering some weird tertiary theology. We haven't been talking about some different idea or, or you know, this is a different way to approach the Bible than we have before. This is a different methodology or whatever. You know what we've been talking about? The heart of God. That's what we've been talking about. Because you know what? God is patient. God is kind. God is considerate. God is about truth, not about lies. God does, in, his love for us does endure. He does believe in us and hope for us. God is love. And so as we dealt with these things and as we deal with love, it's the very heart of God. God is love. You were created by love, for love, forever. We were made this way. God is love. And love is most important because the heart of God is most important. But the second reason, why love is most important and will last is that love is the currency of heaven. Love is the currency of heaven. Love is how we now and forever will relate to God. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. John 14, 21, Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. God says the main way you relate to me is through love. When you obey me, that's love. When you consider me, that's love. 
when you think of me, when you talk to me, when you thank me, when you praise me, that's love. And that's how I relate to you. You aren't my little machines. You aren't my little slaves. I love you. That's how we will relate to one another now and forever. Love is the currency of heaven. That's how we relate to God. It's also how we now and forever relate to one another. What did Jesus say about our neighbors? What's the main way we relate to one another? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the main way we relate to one another. When you bring up other people, what's the first thing Jesus says? Love them as you love yourself. This is how we relate to one another. And God says again, that's the main way. Not interests, not backgrounds, not, not friendships, not whether you like them or not, not their race, not where they come from, not social standing. The only thing that matters, the main way you will relate to me now and the main way you'll relate to me then is through love, kindness toward one another. That's important. Patience with one another. That's important. Being considerate, putting other people's needs first. That's important. God says, this is how we relate to one another. It's through love. This is the currency of heaven. Jesus prayed and he taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom, listen to me. His kingdom is never more present on this earth than when his people love. Do you hear me? His kingdom is never more present here on this earth than when his people love. And it's how we spread the kingdom. When we deal in the currency of heaven, that's how we walk around spreading the kingdom. It's how Jesus did it. He always, 100% of the time, dealt in the currency of heaven with other people, with his disciples who regularly would frustrate him. He showed patience and he showed kindness. With prostitutes and people who were cast off and outcasts, he was kind to them and considerate. And he, was, he gave them their dignity back. He was polite. He was thoughtful. He was loving. On the cross to those who murdered him, he forgave them. Love, 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 love. That's how he related. That's the currency of heaven. That's how Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, was through love. Knowledge gone, tongues gone. Do you want to speak the language of heaven? Love. Do you want to bring the knowledge of heaven? Love, kindness, patience, gentleness. We live in a broken and dark world. We talked about it last week with everything that's been going on. And don't you long to be able to peel back that darkness? Don't you just want to see people who are in despair and peel back that darkness and say, there's something greater. You can. You can. You have the keys to the kingdom. You can do it. You can peel back that darkness and show them the kingdom of heaven through the way you love makes me think about um there's this uh, priest in LA named Gregory Boyle maybe you've heard him speak before he's on TED Talks he's written a lot of books he's a brilliant man but one time he was recounting um his uh his interaction with this 15 year old gang member um Rigo he did a uh, he did a, a chapel service every Sunday in this prison this this youth prison um and he got to talking to Rigo somebody that he knew really well and he asked about his father he said will your father be coming his, his mom always came on Sundays. He said, will your father be joining? He said, no. So my dad was a uh, heroin addict. Didn't have a lot to do with my life. And he used to beat me. And he said, Rigo started to cry. And he said, I remember when I was in fourth grade, I was sent home early. And my dad was there. And he said, why were you sent home early? And I said, I'll tell you, but only if you promise not to hit me. And his dad said, hit you? I'm your dad. I'd never hit you. And he said, after I told him, he beat me with a lead pipe. He said, with a pipe? He beat his son. 
He said, after he had regained his composure, Rigo said to him, he said, you see that woman over there? That's my mother. There's no one on earth like her. I've been in this place for a year and a half. And every single Sunday, she is here. She never misses a moment to be here with me. And he said he began to cry and weep even stronger than before when recalling his father. And he said, do you know how many buses it takes for her to get here? And he said through his tears, he said, seven. She takes seven buses to be here with me every single Sunday. This boy, Rigo, came from a dark place. He was in a dark place. This world hated him. He was cloaked in despair. And you know what his mother did? She got him out of jail. No, she couldn't do that. She changed the circumstances. She, she couldn't do that. She changed the past. No, she couldn't do that. Do you know what she did? She peeled back that darkness that he's trapped inside. She peeled back the lies of the enemy that would tell him, this is all there is. She peeled it back. How? She loved him. She loved him. And guess what? The kingdom of heaven was there. In that moment, Rigo is seeing heaven. He's seeing it. Why? Because his mother dealt in the currency of heaven. She loved So here's my closing argument. Do you want to see the kingdom of heaven here? I do. I want to see it in Bartlett. I want to see it where I live. I want to see it where my son's about to start to go to school. I want to see it here in this church. I want to see it. I want to see the kingdom of heaven. I don't want to wait. I don't wait any longer. I don't want to waste another day. I don't want to just go to O'Charlie's after church. I want to see the kingdom of heaven here. We won't find it in a political party. There's no hope there. We won't find it in a hashtag related to social justice and some cultural movement. We won't find it there. Do you want to see the kingdom of heaven? Then be kind. Then be patient. Then don't insist on your own way. Then be considerate. Be polite. Put other people's needs first. Don't rejoice with what's wrong. Be happy with what makes the Lord happy. Endure. Don't run. Hope, believe, give people the benefit of the doubt. Do you want to see the kingdom of heaven? Then bring it by love, by loving others. So at work, at home, in your neighborhoods, in your relationships, are you bringing the kingdom of heaven? Are you peeling back the darkness that is ever before us through your love? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us, for coming into our darkness, taking our sin upon yourself on the cross, dying, paying the penalty for our sin, and then coming back to life so that now we can live. Thank you. Thank you that your love never ran, and thank you that your love will always remain. Now help us, Lord, love like that. Help us, Lord, be people who bring the kingdom with us. Help us stop prioritizing things that may be good, but they're not love. Help us stop sacrificing loving other people for these other things. 
And help us be people who peel back that darkness that's in our homes, that's in our neighborhoods, that's in our friends' lives, that's at our work, that's in our schools. Help us bring the kingdom everywhere we go by choosing to love, by choosing to reflect the heart of God. Help us love. And Lord, for those in this room, they don't feel loved. Lord, they, they know that the way that they've been living their life, they're separated from you. Lord, my prayer for them right now is that they would hear the truth. That your son died on the cross so that whosoever believes in him will be saved. Whosoever. The, the drug addict, yes. The prostitute, yes. The businessman, yes. The stay-at-home mom, yes. The unemployed, yes. Whosoever. You know, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you, is that you in this room? Am I talking to you? Are you a person who you feel separated from God? You need forgiveness. You need a fresh start. Listen to me very carefully. The scriptures are clear. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. You want a fresh start? You have it. Say this to the Lord. You can do it in the quietness of your heart and mind. You don't have to say it out loud. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for doing things my own way. I want a fresh start. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you're alive, that you've been raised to life. God, give me a new life. Forgive me. Forgive me. You're in charge now. I want to follow you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.